Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. You may be seated. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. I appreciate, again, David covering for me last week as we were out of town, went to a pastor's conference and had an amazing time, uh, refreshed and excited. Appreciate the church supporting that. Uh, let me give you a couple of announcements real quick. One, we had uh, a lot of these in the foyer on Sunday for you to take and put out in your business, in your home, and put in somebody else's yard. You know, it'd be great. Uh, maybe a pastor from another church. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, but absolutely, we'd love for you to grab some of these. There's still a few outside. Be sure that when you grab it, though, out in the foyer, that you also grab the um, the little rack that goes with it so you can put it in the yard. Also, uh, December the 2nd is our Christmas show. We have an annual, annual Christmas show where we have a new song come in and bring a different artist. It's just going to be Big Daddy Weave. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Yeah, we're really excited. Well, three people will be here. It's going to be amazing. And... Um, no, but I do. I want you to get excited about that because I love how they really give the presentation of the gospel and what they're doing, and it's just going to be a great, great night. And, and I think we'll have tickets this Sunday uh, for you so you don't have to order them online. You can order them here in person. You can pick it up and maybe give it as a gift or, or encourage somebody who is not a believer to also come in. We'd love for you guys uh, to be here for that. So just excited about what God is doing. Um, we're in Revelation chapter 3 tonight. And we're going to begin around verse 14, uh, where David left off, to cover really tonight just one church, and that is the uh, lukewarm church, the church at Laodicea. I I did hear from a few people that I I think when he came in, we still had a couple of things to cover in chapter 2, so I will look back at that and go back to that uh, next week, and we'll cover that. But I want to just really spend a little bit more time on this tonight in regards of this church, because I find that this is probably a cross-section of a lot of the church today. And, and I'll tell you, and I use this loosely, but that's the thing that really haunts me. It frightens me. Because it, this is not speaking to, as we often have thought, that this is speaking to a Christian audience only. It's speaking to a church audience. And that's, unfortunately, two different things. And you'll see that tonight as we read this passage beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3 in this church at Laodicea. And, and, I, and I explain this because I've taught on this many, many, many times. And so tonight, hopefully, um, who's running pictures back there for me tonight? So I, I hope you can kind of, I'll call for it. I'll make it super easy. But there's some pictures I want to show you tonight uh, to help you to kind of see geographically exactly what I'm talking about and how we know what Jesus is saying is, is the way I'm presenting it to you because I'm going to be, be very frank with you. I've heard this presented in another way, and when I get to that point, I'll explain to you, and I'll I'll show you why that can't be the case. And so this might be enlightening for some of you, but in any case, uh, I want to dive right in. If you have your Bibles, look there with me in uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. I think we have it to also throw on the board. But it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Underline that, because I'm going to definitely explain that to you. He says, I know your works, and I know that you are neither hot nor cold, no, cold nor hot, and I could wish you were cold or hot. Some translations say I would, and that's fine. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, listen to the words here, strong words, I will vomit you from my mouth. 
Some say spew, others have other adjectives or what have you. I just think that's interesting that he uses the word vomit, and it's not a word that he uses with his children. I want you to make that kind of parenthetically if you're taking notes. That's not the way God talks to his children. Um, It's not the way we talk to our children. And so we know at that point we're talking to an audience of people who may have the appearance and the action of a child of God, but in fact not that at all. So this, this literally to me is the more blatant, in-your-face, if you will, writing that kind of helps us to discern here that, that Jesus is speaking to a group of people who call themselves the ecclesia, the body, the, the, the rallying, the assembling of people in the church, but that could very well, in this case, are going to be very well going to be lost. And so I want you to kind of let that marinate as we go further into this because it'll really help you to understand exactly what is going on. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 17, here's why. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, listen to these words, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, I give you wisdom to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and that you may have white garments and that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and then also to anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may see. As many as I love, he says, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Remember, we always see this exhortation in this letter of all the churches that there's this caution, there's a degree of warning, but then there's this, this exhorting that he does that says, hey, there is a chance here for you to, what, repent and turn from your way. And he says, behold, however, watch, stand back and look, take note. He says, I'm currently standing at the door and knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him. The King James says, sup, S-U-P, same thing. Dine with him and he with me. But to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as also I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then he gives us this cautionary final, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Jesus, help us tonight to dive into truth and life-changing, altering word that's alive, that can set us free, and that can change the course of history for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. So the, the amen there is the Greek word that literally means truly. It's an affirmation word. So when we say amen or when there is a rallying behind something that's being spoken, uh, we, we, we give this affirming truly or truly, truly, or I, I agree. And it's, a, it's more than agreeing. It's a spiritual affirmation. So that's why we say amen. That's why we you know, do the praise the Lord. That's why we clap. That's why we applaud. That's why we do those things. But when he says, I am the amen, he's basically saying, I am the source of truth. I am the source of all those things that you're going to affirm. I'm that truth. I'm that truth source. And then he even tells us that if we are in him, that we also have that truth. He tells us in 14, 6 in John's gospel, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And it's that truth, watch this, to know the truth, the truth will what? Somebody say it. 
It sets you free. See, the dialogue that we have in, in theological circles today are vast. They're, they're massive. And, and they're, again, as you've heard me say, there are some hills that we don't have to die on. You know, there's a lot of things that maybe the charismatic would look at and say, that's, that's something we need to grab onto. And, and the Methodists say, that's something we don't need to grab onto. And the Baptists, that's something we need to do. And, 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 and on and on and on. And, and, and yet, denominationalism is really not something that we find in Scripture anyway, which is quite honestly why we took the approach that we did, that quite honestly, I believe there can be some degree of fellowship so long as we agree, agree in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, His deity. Jesus died, raised again, seated at the right hand of the Father, and, and now making intercession on behalf, he's coming again as a king. He's, I mean, all these things, those are, those are non-negotiables. And when he says, I am the amen, he's basically saying what I am and what I say and what I stand for, they're negotiables. Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus was the son of God and he was fully God. We have to always understand that. People say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, neither is motorcycle, but they exist. Okay, we have to understand that there is a Latin phrase that speaks of the triune God that exists in one person. Okay, we think about Arianism, for example, the the thought of just one God. Well, the, the reality is we believe that too, but we believe He exists in a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. And listen, that is not founded in just the New Testament of the Book of John, where it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And there was nothing made that wasn't made by the Word." In verse fifteen, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. No more clearer understanding of the existence of God's Word from eternity past, and that was Jesus Christ. Secondly, we see in Colossians 1.16 that by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created by him and for him. He's the source of all things. He's the goal of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. It's all about him. It's always been about him. And, and we have to understand that because if we, if we want to, to kind of make a separation there and say, no, 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 that's not really true. He wasn't really God. It, well, even in the beginning when he says God said, Elohim, God said, let us create man in our image. Why did he say that? Because he was speaking of that plurality. If you look up the word God in the context of Genesis, you'll find a word Elohim that is a plural word. If you want to go to a Strong's Concordance, I've looked at it a thousand times, it is the Hebrew number 430. Go look it up. It's a plural word. So God in that context spoke of his plurality using the pronoun of let us make man in our image. This is incredibly important for us because had he merely been a good man, had he merely just been a son but not fully God, hypostatic union, he was fully God but fully man, why did he have to be fully God? Because if he died on a cross as merely a man, then he would have just been a martyr. Reminds you, two other guys died on a cross that day, but we don't sing their praises. But be, be mindful of the fact that if he were fully God, then he could become the payment, the satisfaction, the word is propitiation of our sin. That that is the only person, the only creation that God, he came as a man, why? Because he had to come and be affiliated with our, our demise. He had to be affiliated with our, our, our temptations, yet he did not sin, why? Because he was fully God. So all of that, flows through this, this is a lot bigger word than that, that's why I'm really spending that time on that, is that, watch this, it's used in the fact that he is the context of blessing or oath-taking, if you're filling in your blanks. 
that there's an oath taking. That's why we say amen. It's like I'm affirming an oath, a solemn oath. That I'm not just throwing out a word and say, amen, preacher. That I'm saying amen to the Lord of hosts. That I'm lining myself with that agreement. He says that he is the faithful and true witness. You know what that means? That means he's forthcoming. You can count on it. Had somebody ask me just last week when I was at a, at a pastor's thing. And I, I ran into a guy um, at, at one of the places where we were, we were, you could get food. It was kind of an all-inclusive resort. We were down in Cancun. And, and I was standing there, and we are getting ready to go into a session. I was getting some coffee, and a guy was, was, was over there asking me. He said, what are you here for? And I said, pastor, uh, conference. And it, it opened a conversation. Well, the Holy Spirit nudged me further. So I started sharing my faith, and we started talking. Come to find out he was lost. And, and then I realized that my trip was really not even about me. It wasn't even about the talks. It, wasn't even about, it was about that soul and that moment that God had ordained before he framed the world. And the guy looked at me and he said, you know, I really, I'm, I'm really right there. I'm really right on the edge. I said, what do you mean? Talk to me. He said, I really can believe in Jesus. I can believe in God. I can believe in this and I can believe in that. Couldn't find out he had had some, some interaction with, with other world religions. He had had action with Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, and, and, and another one. I can't remember what it was. Buddhism, ironically enough. And, and, he, and he's talking about enlightenment and heaven and what does it mean and this, that, and the other. You can't really know that you're going to heaven and X, Y, Z. And then he said, do you really think Jesus is going to come back? I said, buddy, you can count on it. And here's the point of reference. At that moment, God opened the door for me to talk to him about his salvation. And it was very interesting. I want you all to hear this. It was very interesting that in that moment, the Holy Spirit reconciled some things in his mind in the fact that he may not get all the answers to all the questions he has, but really only the one question he needed to know is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? He died for your sin. He, he rose again. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's the soon-coming king. Do you believe that with your heart, with your mind, and your soul? And do you want to live forever? And do you want to, by grace, through your faith in him, through everything you can't see and everything you're believing at faith, will you believe that and call on him? And right there, right in the middle of that coffee shop, he gave his life to the Lord. Now, why? <clears throat> because he's true and he's faithful witness. Because that wasn't about <laughs> Mark's words. In fact, can I be very bold? They were probably more, in fact, in spite of them. I believe that the Holy Spirit was already wooing that man, brought him to that point. Brought, and I just happened to be the one that got to come by, come by his way and get to see that happen. So pr praise God. Look, look at this. He says he's the beginning of the creation of God. So if we're not careful, and I had a conversation with, with a gentleman uh, several weeks ago about this very thing of, of the fact of Jesus being created. And, and, and I get where a lot of that can come from when we talk about that. We have to understand the personification of this idea of a father and a son has to be shown to us in terms that we understand it, okay? That's why the Bible uses a lot of symbolism and metaphors, right? We think about the hand of God, but in fact, God is a spirit being. Would everybody agree to that? So he doesn't really have a hand, so we've given him uh, this, this idea and the concept of a hand so that we can understand how he reaches out with his glory and touches people with his hand, his healing hand, what, the mind of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. So when we talk about the creation uh, of God here, watch what it says. It does not denote Jesus as a creature. 
It does not denote Jesus as a creature. Why? Since Jesus Christ is the word of God and all things were created by means of the word and not one thing was made that was not made without the word. That's John 1, by the way. And he is the alpha and he omega. What does that mean? He's beginning. And, and by the way, let me just say this to you. When you read that in, in the text, he is not the alpha and the omega. How do you know that? Those are articles that were placed there together by scribes and translators, but they were, they were unnecessary necessarily placed there. We can go back to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You look in there and you find these words don't exist. Austin, they don't even exist. So when we read them, it's like Spanish. If you've anybody ever take Spanish, if you take Spanish and try to translate it to English, sometimes your, your uh, subject and verb and all that, they're backwards. Is anybody, are you with me? And, and what happened is when they put this, it was there, they thought for an understanding, but what it really threw off was this idea that there was a beginning and there will be an end, and nothing could be further from the truth. So he is alpha, and he is omega. He is beginning, and he is end. And that, that's just very important that you, that you understand that. Then the word also says the beginning, which speaks of origin of creation, not the product of it. In other words, Jesus was part of that Elohim triune God. Okay, the triune God just simply means that they are three existing in one. You say, Mark, that's impossible. Well, actually, it's not impossible. I've shared this with you before, but if you've never heard it, I'll do it again. I am Mark. I am Jennifer and Bill's son. I am Tyler and Ashley's father. I am um, Stephanie's amazing husband. I am your pastor. I am your friend. I am the grandkid's G, I'm their grandfather, and, and that's me five or six in one. So it's really not even hard for me in my finite mind to wrap around it and go, there's a creative part of God, there is a redeeming part of God, and there is a comforting part of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's really not that complicated. Everybody doesn't call me Mark like my mother would call me Mark. Everybody doesn't call me pastor like you might call me pastor. But Some people call me Mr. Mark. Some people call me other things. That's fine. But the, the reality is, is we can do that even in real time. So I want you to understand that it speaks more of origin of creation, but don't, don't even stop there. I want you to continue on. So the word RK is used in the beginning as beginning or first, but not first in a series of creative being, but rather, watch this, used as elsewhere in Scripture, it denotes ruler. So he's the first rulership. He's the first authority. He's the first in everything. Why do I say that? Look at look with me, if you will. If you have your Bible, I don't know if we have this to throw on the screen. If you don't have it, just make a note and go back there. Colossians chapter 1, listen to this, chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. Listen to what it says about Jesus. By the way, these verses are the theme of the book of Colossians, okay? Uh, Ephesians' theme is the body of Christ. The theme of Colossians is Jesus is the head of that body. So it's a good way to remember that. Colossians chapter one, verse 15, listen, listen with me. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. So even if people wanted to transliterate that and say he was the firstborn in creation. Well, that wouldn't even make sense because Jesus and his humanity really didn't come to the earth until when? 2,000 years ago. This says he was the firstborn over all creation. You know what that means? Watch what it says. It says, for by him, all things were created. 
Guys, let me just give you some, some, some word exchange here. A creature cannot be the creator. He is the creator. We are the created. We are the creatures. And furthermore, it says, not only things here, but in heaven and things in the earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, and all things created through him and for him. And watch this, verse 17. And he is before all things. I looked up that word all. You know what that means? All. He was what? He is before, and I love the word is. That's not a mistake. That is not a, graph, a, a, a grammar error. He didn't say it was. He is still before all things because he's continual, perpetual. And listen to this. And in him all things are held together or consist. And here it is. And he is the head of the body of the church in verse 18 who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, watch this, here it is, that he may have preeminence. That speaks of origin. That speaks of before there was anything, he was. Before there was any firmament, he was. Before there was a tree that was bearing fruit, he was. And guess what? Not only he was, he is, and he is to come. It's perpetuating. It, there is no end. And, and, and I love that scripture because in, in everything we see a first in importance, we see a first in honor, we see a first in exaltation. And the grammar of this verse indicates that Jesus is the head, the beginning, the first, and listen, and the last. So again, when we talk about creation, it's just important that we drive that point home. Y'all track and say amen. Affirmation, right? Look at verse 15 through 16 there. It says, this idea of being lukewarm, you're not hot or cold, this figure of speech indicates that the Laodicean conduct, watch this, is unacceptable and unsuitable to the Lord. Unusable, I should say. Unusable to the Lord. He says, I will vomit you out, which means to utterly reject, to utterly reject the same basic idea, of course, I've got some scriptures there, can be found in Leviticus. And since loss of salvation is not an option, the one thing that we can count on with the Lord is that he says exactly what he means. I, I, I really, one of my pet peeves, I'll, I'll kind of give you a glimpse into this squirrel cage for a moment. A pet peeve that I have is I really, if you do want to debate Scripture, I, I want to be a student. I want to I open up to that. We'll do that in the right environment, obviously, not in here, but at my office or at your home or what have you. But make certain that when you say something, you can take me to it in the Word. Do not tell me that you believe in something because that's what you think it means. Now, I'm not speaking to you directly. I'm just speaking in general terms. You, you with me? Y'all, come on. Amen right there too, right? Because um, I'm not getting on to you. I'm saying that I, I've done that. Well, what that means to me, and I, in my first semester in, in seminary, uh, I, I've shared this with y'all many times, I had a 92-year-old professor who was mentored by Charles Ryrie, the great theologian. I'm like, you know, I have a Charles Ryrie study Bible, okay? So this guy made me super nervous. So I, what did I do? I overcompensated. I'm like, I'm gonna be the first one in the class to impress him. And we happened to be talking about something in Revelation. So raise my hand, nobody else would look at They're like going, just wait to see what he would do to cut me down. Because I heard he was, he was a drill sergeant, right? And I said, uh, 
well, I know Jesus is coming back, and da, da, da. he stopped me. He said, stop right there. I thought he shouldn't shoot me, y'all, seriously. And he goes, chapter and verse. I said, excuse me. He said, don't, don't quote anything you know until you can start that statement out within chapter and verse. It says blank, blank, and blank, and then ask me your question. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting out of this class. But I learned so much from him, and it really taught me a great lesson that you can't just say, well, here's what I think, or here's what I heard, or hey, here's another one that I, I don't think you should rest on. Well, my preacher said, your preacher could be wrong. Not your preacher, but the, you know, other people's. But I mean, in all actuality, we're human, we're flawed, right? We have, you have to counterbalance everything I say against the word of God. And there is a biblical way to challenge that. Again, not in here. You know, we're, we're, God is a God of order. We have to make certain that we dialogue that. So if you have questions, uh, jot those down. Look, look at this. It says, um, we can count on, he means exactly what he says. Eternal life is just that. It's eternal. Salvation is just that. If conditionality played any role in our salvation, the Bible would clearly indicate it. There would be no room for debate. There is a phrase that is also not in the Bible. It's called once saved, always saved. But if you have been in any Baptist church in any part of your life, you've heard that. And the danger in making statements like that is, is you can't take it to a chapter and verse for that statement. But you absolutely can show it in Scripture that it's absolutely true, if you're truly saved. So really the, the debate should be, is a person really saved, and can they still live that way? See, the measure of a person's salvation is what? Throw, throw it back at me. What is the true measure of a person's salvation? I can, I can look at Tommy and say, based upon what I'm seeing, and I should try that. You know, everybody's like, don't judge me. Don't. Listen, again, very, very dangerous theology here. If Austin and I are brothers, iron sharpens iron, we should be placing not a judgment unto condemnation, but there should be some trying of the spirit, right? Austin, based upon what we feel, the way we walk, the way we act, the way we treat each other, the way we treat people, that kind of thing. But, but give me some feedback real quick. How, how's one way we can tell if a person, uh, based upon what they're living, if they're saved? The fruit of their life. Okay, right. They, they, they're, they're, they're cleaning. Sanctification is a process. Salvation is instantaneous. Sanctification is being made and created in the image of God, right? But, but when we talk about fruit, there's a, there's a fruit, and you can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. If it's an apple tree, it's going to bear apples. Orange tree, orange tree is going to bear oranges and so forth and so on. And, and the same is true for, for our Christian faith. Listen, and you say, well, Mark, what does that look like? Go to Galatians. It gives you nine of them. But it doesn't give you nine fruits of the Spirit. It gives you what? Nine fruit. They're all together. Peace, love, joy, long-suffering, meekness, goodness, helps, so forth. You know, and those are things that we do. Is, is someone always critical? Are they condemning? Are they a gossiper? Are they a backbiter? Are they ugly? Are they hateful? Do they not give? Do they not love? Do they not, et cetera, et cetera? Guys, that's fruit. And maybe it's self-evaluation. Let's don't say they do it. If, if everything I do is hateful and vindictive and I don't have peace, I don't have love in my heart, I'm not saying everything's gonna be great. In fact, I think those are things that, that come and go and we constantly revolve around this idea of, of aspiring and running that race. But guys, if somewhere in your life you're not finding yourself wanting to forgive the unforgivable, wanting to love the unlovable, 
wanting to feed a guy that's hungry, not because he deserves it or he does it, but because you love him. And because he's one of God's children. And in Matthew 25, and he says, and when I was naked, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't uh, clothe me. When I was hungry, you didn't give me food. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. When I was in prison, you didn't come to me. When I was sick, you didn't visit me. And everybody's like, Jesus, when were you those things? And he's like, well, as much as you've done unto the least of these, you've done it to me. So see, if we don't do those things willingly, that's what church is about is, number one, learning it, but also somebody standing behind you going, guys, this is what it ought to look like. And, and just so you know, and Tony knows this, we're, we're together every week. I have to have that in my life, people speaking into me. That's one reason I went to the pastor's conference. But I listen to preachers. I have people speak into my life. I listen to people around our community, listen to their sermons. And, and, and I mean, it has to provoke me. Before I teach you, God has already spoken it into my heart and kind of kicked me in the rear and said, hey, here's an area you need to bear more fruit in. I was talking to Eric and um, Amy Peacock the other night. You know, one of, the, one of the things I want to start talking more and more about is fostering foster uh, parenting and, and, and adoption. And, and maybe that's never come up in your vernacular. Maybe you've never thought about it, heard about it. We say, Mark, well, that's just a personal thing. That's something between defects and them. No, James 1.27 says, pure religion undefiled is when we take care of the widows and the orphans. It's pure religion. It's undefiled. It's uncontaminated, for goodness sakes. And so we talk about giving. Again, it's not so the church can get your money. It's like God says, would a man rob me? How would a man rob me? In my tithe and offering. If I don't tell you that, then we're not bearing the fruit that God has called us to bear. There's people in this room that I know for a fact I could call. There's a lot of you in this room that I could call and say, hey, I need blank. And it would be done like that. And you know people in this room that are that way. Guys, there should be that kind of response mechanism for Christians. It doesn't mean we always have to agree. Matter of fact, sometimes even in our own home, husband and wives, we don't agree. Come on, somebody help me. My wife's watching. Say amen. Don't let her think it's just me and her, y'all. Just move on. Just kidding, baby. So, so, so I wanted you to check this out. Let me, let me throw up a, I don't know if we'll get the right picture or not, but Melissa, see if we can... Throw up the picture of um, just a, a mountain of, of, say, map one of Laodicea. Maybe that's what I called it. I don't remember if we have that. Do you see anything that looks like that? Just throw one up. We'll go through them. It don't matter. Or can you pull them up? Oh, it's frozen? Okay. All right. So when we talk about these different churches, just, just know that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with Smyrna. We're dealing with Sardis, Philadelphia. We're dealing with Ephesus, Laodicea, so forth and so on. But I want you to notice right there, kind of in the center, you'll see the big green Colossae. Um, Colossae is a town that was known, a region that was known for its cold waters. Well, you can remember that is Colossae starts with a C. So just if you ever tell this or have to refer back to it, Colossae cold. And, and then look across the, the range there, you'll see Two dots up, there's Hierapolis. Hierapolis, H, is known for hot waters, hot springs, still today. The same region is still true today. The Colossi waters were known for their purity and their drinking. Do you have a picture there of, oh, yeah, is it froze again? Okay. Well, there, when we went to Israel a few years ago, there are these, these long aqueducts that would flow across the entire region. 
and they would have these big arches. They looked like bridges, but on top, water would flow from places where water was because you're talking about a desert region. In a lot of cases, water wasn't an option, so they, they would send these things, I'm talking hundreds of miles across terrain. So Colossae was known uh, as a sender of water, a giver of water, and uh, I should say Colossae was. And then on the other side, Hierapolis was known for hot springs, kind of like Hot Springs, Arkansas, where you would go, and, or like Warm Springs down in Pine Mountain, where um, President Roosevelt went to, to soothe his aching uh, muscles and so forth. You can leave that one up. And what happened was um, where the two waters converged, it converged in Laodicea. And just the way that the waters came off of Hierapolis and came down out of Colossae, and they would create a stagnation of lukewarm water. And so over the years, you can, you can take that off now. Over the years, people have erroneously preached this idea that I would rather that you be cold or hot meant that I would rather you just be one or the other. And that somehow Jesus, the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost and made this statement that none would perish, but that what? all would come to repentance. That's, that shows the motive of his heart, that it would be his desire that everyone come to repentance. And if he's the creator and the redeemer, then let's just call that the, the mandate. Let's just call that the, the modus operandi. Now watch what happens. He's not saying, I would rather you be cold and indifferent and just be completely out, or I'd rather you be hot, which means you're on fire for the Lord. And see, I've heard that preached that way. The problem is that does, that's not true. It doesn't mean that at all. You would refer back to these, these, these regions and then ultimately land on that lukewarm of Laodicea. And that he spoke to them in words that they understood. So what he, what he was saying, he said, look, I would rather you be like Colossae, the region up from you that produces this cool, refreshing drink of water. That's what I want you to be, child of God. I want you to be that. I want you to be a refreshing drink of water to a parched, dry soul. I want you to be that. And if you can't be that, then maybe everybody's not that bubbly, refreshing kind of personality. Maybe you're the person that just is real good at comforting people. So let's do this. Either be cold or be hot like Hierapolis because there it's, it's what you set in to give soothing uh, medicinal uh, affection to your aching muscles. So Christian, I'd rather you be a cold, fresh drink of water that, 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 that satisfies a thirst. Anyone with hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be what? Filled. And then over here on the hot side is this idea that the world is, is aching. They're, they're burdened. They're, they're lost. They're, and, and to sit in that, it's kind of like sitting in that, ladies, it's like sitting in that Calgon bathtub. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where some of you men probably know what I'm talking about. Y'all take one too, don't and it's just like just everything's okay. It's just kind of like I don't really care what the kids are doing right now. I don't care what's going on. The days are. That's what God is saying. He said, "I'd rather you be one of those things because if you're not, then you're in the middle Laodicea, which they are geographically. You're in the middle, and and you're worth nothing because I can't drink that water. I can't sit in it. It's not hot enough for that, but it's too hot to drink. So it just simply attracts flies and mosquitoes, and it stinks." And you are a foul smell and taste in my nostrils. So guess what? You, church member, who live in the Laodicean region, if that's the picture of your faith, I'm gonna spew you out. I reject you. That's what he's talking about. 
And that's the part that we have to understand. That God is saying, I didn't make you guys all the same. I made some of you with the ability to sing. Then sing, sing, sing as loud and as, as, as heartfelt and anointed as you can. I gave some of you the ability to preach. Well, preach to your, to, your, to your heart can't do it anymore. Just preach the gospel. Instant and season and now. Preach the word when it's popular, when it's unpopular. When it's heard, when it's unheard. When there's 500 in the building or there's nobody. Preach the gospel. Or I gave you the ability to teach. You teach them. You teach them. You get in it and you grind with them. Or I gave you the, 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 the gift of discernment where you get in there and you, 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 you see what's going on in the heart of a person and you discern that. And don't worry about the world who says you don't judge. You get in there and you, Matthew 18, you tell somebody if they're falling so that you can win back a brother or sister. And on and on and on. Some of you are prayer warriors. Then pray and believe. And, and if you're praying for rain, get your umbrella. God's about to pour down that ladder rain. You know, do what God's called you to do. Be cold or be hot. But don't you be a foul stench in the nostrils of a holy God. Because he said, I'll reject that. And then he says this. He says, in fact, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. Five adjectives used to express the des desperate condition of the Laodicean church. He says, I want you to rather buy from me gold refined by fire. You know what that is? That's pure gold. That's that, that's that gold that, see, when gold comes in its, in its, in its found form, it may have contaminants of, of, of other uh, rocks. So it's not pure. So when it's refined, all of the impurities, just like with silver, all of that comes out and the pure gold floats to the top and it's skimmed off and it's put in and it's solid, it's pure, it's, 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 it's separate. And in the fact that he's asking them to buy gold refined by fire would speak of it being very, very expensive. And expensive. But then he's told them they were poor. So the fact that the Lord indicates that the Laodiceans are poor, but then advises them to buy gold, helps to underscore this figurative nature of this exchange. If one could buy gold, would not such a one be rich already? So what is he saying? What is more expensive than gold? You know what he's really saying? He's speaking of allegiance. He's speaking of allegiance to him with faithful service. He says, with that type of allegiance, can I just say it this way? You wouldn't need gold. You'd be the richest man in the world. See, when I know that my hope and my faith and my origin and my aunt, listen, and I say this respectfully, there may be even people in this room and most certainly people listening today that may be on the verge of losing a loved one. And I know the last thing in the world you want to hear is Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord are called according to his purpose. You don't want to hear that when you're losing someone close to you. But I'm going to tell you something. My sadness really moved very quickly to joy when I knew that though my father was gone, that I knew, Austin, the second he breathed his last breath, he was in the presence of Jesus. And guys, that's a hope. And it's not a hope in the context of, of like, I think it could happen. I'm talking about a hope that is secure. And, and when I think about allegiance, listen, he says, I want to give you eye salve, which is medication to heal the eyes. The Laodiceans, they have three problems. They have a lack of divine favor. Can I tell you something? The greatest thing that you will ever find in this world is the favor of God upon your life. 
Because you know what that'll do? <laughs> that'll make you an amazing husband or wife. That'll make you an amazing son or daughter. That'll make you an amazing brother, sister, pastor, friend, discerner, prayer warrior, preacher, teacher. It all comes from God's favor. In fact, it's good if people give you an accolade and want to encourage you and say, hey, great job. Take it, receive it for what it was. But in the depths of your soul, you know more than anyone else that if it did happen and there was any good attached to it, it was all God. And you did nothing. In fact, if if been left alone, you'd have messed it up. It's in spite of you. I, I once told a guy who was in ministry who had an affair. I, I shared this in my book. This, this is going to be coming out. I shared this in there. It was, it, basically, I told him, I said, you know what? If you will let him, God will use you. God will use you in spite of this failure. And the Holy Spirit quickened me. And he spoke to me and he says, no, Mark, I'm going to use him because of it. See, what we fail to realize is that really and truly, if we study the life of Jesus, what we call Christology, his life in in earth, he didn't really go to the religious crowd to call preachers. (laughs) He didn't go to, he went and called a fisherman. How many of y'all know fishermen lie? Come on now, somebody. Tony, that was kind of personal, wasn't it? He went by the fishing hole and said, hey, I want to follow you and make you fisher of men. He, he went by and talked to Matthew. Did, did, does anybody have a clue how hated Matthew was? He was a tax collector. He was, a, he was sold out, man. He, he, was, he had to hide to get into the community to get in his little cage to receive taxes. They hated him because he was made wealthy on the demise of Jewish people at, Romans, at Rome's expense. But he told the religious crowd, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. I don't know why I said that. Number two, they had lack of purity. Lack of favor, they had lack of purity, which is where the gold. And then their salve, listen, he says, you know what you really like? You have a lack of spiritual perception. And then real quick, verse 29, he said, I love which is the motive of God's disciplines. He said, I rebuke and chasten. Explicit statement of the point figuratively alluded to in Revelation 3, 15, 16 speaks of discipline for the sake of turning one away from sin. How far would you go to discipline your child that you love to get them to turn away from a bad path in which they have found themselves on? How many mamas and daddy would say, I'd do whatever it took? I'd, I'd beat that honey. I'd take phones. I'd, ta- I'd, I'd cancel college. I'd bring them home. They wouldn't see girl. They wouldn't see no hotter hair of them or that. I'd take their horses. We would, I mean, whatever, right? And that's what it is. You know what Jesus says? That's exactly what I'm saying. I will discipline and chasten you because I love you so much because he knows that that discipline provokes what? Repentance. And then he says, that's right. And then, which brings them to repentance. And then he says, be zealous, which means to be deeply committed to. Let me give you a couple other fill-in-the-blanks real quick, and I'm going to give you this last picture. Um, don't pull it up yet, Melissa, but find that picture of, of Jesus at the door, but don't pull it up just yet. Um, the, the worst is, if any man would open the door and let me in, I will sup with him and he with me. Maybe the person inside the house will hear and maybe they will not hear. So he gives the, the, the if. The issue is not recognition of the voice, 
but one of hearing it. Now, can I just ask you something pretty simple? How do we hear God's voice, anyone? Come on, y'all talk to me. How do you hear his voice? You gotta be quiet enough to listen to it, right? You gotta be listening, you gotta be quiet. What else though? How does he speak? Through people? Sure he does. How else? Through his word. I saw a post today that says, don't tell me God's not talking if you're not reading his word, right? He's speaking through his word. And it's, listen, it's organic. That's what we would call it today. But the Bible says it's alive. It is alive. It is, itself is alive. Meaning the moment that he spoke it, the power that it held is the same power that it holds today when you speak it. That's why it says there's what in your tongue? Life and death. Okay? Look what it says here. He says, dine with him. Just, just so you know, by the way, the verse's extended metaphor, which is speaking of reciprocal dining, which indicates fellowship. And then let me get you the, give you these last two, fill in the blank. Down at the bottom, grant to sit with me on my throne. This phrase is a figurative speech, means authority to rule and to reign. Now, let me, let me give you something real quick. Have you ever wondered why it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock? What is the, what is the door a metaphor for? Your heart. So he stands at your heart's door and knocks. Why is he knocking? Who said that? It's free will. I want you to look at this picture. This picture was, uh, I think, probably in the 1800s rendered by a guy, last name Salman, S-A-L-M-A-N. I think his name was Warner, Warner Salman, around 1832-ish, somewhere in there. Um, if you look at most of the most of them, and I can't I can't see this one particularly, but I think it has a lock. But there's a lot of versions of this. Most of them do not have a doorknob on it because of what Donnie's saying. See, free will would be revealed in the context of a doorknob because really, if Jesus, you can take it down. If Jesus wanted to come into my life. He would just open the door and come in and go, all right, Mark, you have royally messed this up. I'm taking over. In which case, sometimes I wish he would, right? But what he really does is he, he, he gingerly woos us by truth that's revealed already, spoken already, given for you already. You just got to get in it. But if you're at this place where it's not happening, he says, because you, Laodicea, and any church member that's lukewarm, I stand at your heart's door and I knock. And if, everybody say if, if you hear me because you're listening or you're in my word or someone's telling you or it's revealed and would open, he says, I'll come in and I'll dine and I'll sup with you. And then he says, and you with me. It's reciprocated. Now, let me tell you why that matters. In just a moment, some of you maybe hadn't had dinner, maybe maybe yet here, but a lot of times before we were doing our first Wednesdays, a lot of times I'd take my granddaughter, we, we would go grab some tacos on Wednesday night, just, you know, good eating, you know, healthy stuff, and we'd run down and grab some tacos. Nothing really happens over that meal. Do you, does anybody know what I do when I eat? Do you, does anybody know what I do when I sit down and eat? I eat. We ain't talking. Let's don't talk right then. I was, I'm eating, and I mean, it's a race, by the way. If you don't know that, I'm racing you, and I'm trying to get it down. You know what they do in Hebrew culture? Has nothing to do with the meal, the food. They would eat one time a day, and the daddy or the head of the home would stand up, and they would get ready to break bread. And he would say, okay, before we eat this meal, before we pray, is there anything 
that anybody at this table has against another. Declare it now. If it were, if there were something in the fringes, it'd come to the surface, he would mitigate it there on the spot, and then they would pray, and then they would break bread. It was total and absolute fellowship. God is saying, if there's any alt, when I come in, we're going to settle that out. I'm going to forgive you. You're going to forgive them. And we're going to have a peace. And we're going to have a joy. And we're going to have this, this moment of just breaking of bread. Because I want fellowship with you and you need fellowship with me. If any man would hear my voice, would open the door, I'll come in. Let's pray together. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this, this revelation, this unveiling before us tonight to know that you always have a plan to redeem us. And if there be a way that we can be a part of that, a conduit of your redemption to others who need to know, God, let us be that. Let us be that today. Let us be that this week. Let us be that tonight. Bless our homes. Bless our marriages. Marriages are struggling all over the world tonight. Jesus, I pray right now that we would open up our hearts and let you mediate that with grace and love and tender mercy and that we would just simply get back to the love that you created us to have one for the other. We love you. We honor you tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thank y'all. Hey, I really hope you come this week. Rumor has it, I'll be starting a new series entitled Rumor Has It. Y'all come back and check it out. I'd love to see you Sunday. God bless. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomaston.com.